Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and undoing the programming within us. Let's find your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. All right, so today I get to welcome on one of my dear brothers. Look at that smiling son of a bitch. <laughs> I love it. Connor Moore. All right. So Connor's a guy that has been through a lot of the same work that I've been doing and someone that's been in the podcast game for a number of years and and has been, I've talked about this before, but been an inspiration to me in that particular game and in other areas as well. But Connor, uh, how long have you been doing this, by the way? I think it's been close to four years now. Yeah, and like I'm I remember very good you, at tracking that kind of stuff. Well, I remember when you first started doing, it, I was like, man, I don't know how you fucking do that, man. That looks really hard. Um, because well, I didn't have anything is, to say I, I back about, then. It took me about three years to actually do it. Like I thought about doing it. For, I was listening to the Paleo Solution podcast back in the day. Like that was my one podcast with Rob Wolf. Yeah. First podcast I've listened to. And I was like, you know, and I was coaching CrossFit at the time and had, you know, I was a little bit ridiculous. And people kept telling me, you start, start, you should start a podcast. And I ended up buying like a cheap microphone and a little thing off of Amazon. And it took me like two months to just quit. I was like, I don't know how to, I couldn't even get it to record. I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I figured it out. Now I've got the most advanced podcast set up. That you could imagine. It is dope. So anyway, listen, uh, and we'll get into all that a little bit later, but listen, Connor specializes in lifestyle design through authentic expression. Over at The Realness, he's developed coaching programs for both men and women that are centered around taking ownership of your life, which I personally love. It's, you know, kind of coming out of that, that victim mentality or, or however, right, that disempowered state that we can all find ourselves in. And so I love that it's about taking back that power and in, in understanding that we have agency over that. So, and we'll get into that as well. Um, he provides, if you know him, you know he provides a no bullshit approach that offers a space for you to create self-understanding, implement practices that actually work, none of this bullshit, airy-fairy stuff, and build the lifestyle you deserve. Now, I mentioned the podcast that, that Connor started you know, as it turns out about four years ago, now he's the host of three podcasts. One wasn't enough. You know, the first is the realness. I was actually a guest um, on the realness not too long ago. I highly recommend it. It was a, uh, really one of the most, fa- you know, the best conversations I've had um, in any, you know, either one that I've hosted or been a guest on. And so I highly recommend that. Um, but he, listen, he takes his listeners on an audio adventure that brings a raw and candid approach to personal development, which is why he brought me on there. So thank you, brother. (laughs) Of course, man. (laughs) Uh, He also hosts Connor Wanders, where he dives into politics unfiltered, current events, and some very topical rants, which are hilarious. And they're actually full of a lot of truth. And so I highly recommend that. Listen, nothing's off the table when it comes to Connor. As a matter of fact, all those topics that are typically known for being off the table are the topics that he prefers. We're going to share at least one, maybe a couple of um, 
of clips from Connor Wan- uh, Connor's Connor Wander's uh, production. A little tongue tied there. <laughs> <laughs> now he's the co-host of OK Babe with his partner Kelly, where they bring you their juicy takes on life, relationships, personal growth, with a lighthearted spin. You can find him over on Instagram and YouTube at Connor Wanders, and we'll remind you of that again at the end of the episode so you don't have to, well, or you can press pause right now and go find him. Um, but listen, sometimes you can actually find Connor here at the guest house where I'm recording right now. This is Polaroid adores the refrigerator. He was actually the very first guest we had at our guest house. And so he, uh, he was here uh, it was back in October of 2017. Man, it's been, I, I remember when the guest house was a slab. It wasn't even done yet. Yeah, dude. <laughs> you brought life to this thing. And now it's like my podcast studio. Hey, you know? It was always meant to be the podcast studio. And right. I'm, stoked to, I'm stoked to be here with you. It's, it's just, I've been waiting for this for a while. Yeah, me too, brother. And listen, without further ado, my man, Connor Moore. Thanks for being here, brother. Hey, man. I'm glad to be here. What's been going on for you today? We were talking a little bit before uh, before we pressed record. Um, and again, we're going to talk about personal growth stuff, so don't worry, folks. But one of the things I've loved is Connor's take on politics. Politics is something that I don't particularly understand that well. Um, part of it is because when I, when I look at really the two sides, I see... I mean, aside from just hypocrisy, I see two sides that are rooted in these ideals that they arguably don't even believe in, but they need to, to you know, be supported by a, a certain constituency. And so yeah. I'm so turned off by it that I don't even dig into it at all. But, but I really love the way you really parse this stuff down for guys like me. And again, it, it's really some really funny shit. It's, it has an element of truth to the whole thing. And so today, what's been coming up for you on the political side? Man, and the thing about the political stuff now is that it just never, that's one of the great things about it. It's, it's the blessing and the curse of talking about current events and politics is that there's just no end to it, right? And the, the challenge becomes deciding what to talk about um, that actually matters, right? And that a lot of times it's going to, contradict what you're going to see on whether it's Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Um, and it's, it's gotten so, it's gotten so divisive. And there's one thing that I like to say that I'm not really against much. I just like to observe and try to understand, but I'm very against divisiveness and leveraging divisiveness. So with, with the show, I mean, I just recorded a show before we did this and, and I was getting into, getting into this situation with Glenn Maxwell got arrested yesterday, yesterday morning. And that's, that's Jeffrey Epstein's um, kind of co-conspirator, right-hand woman. Um, and you think about that, right? You see, okay, they got her, right? They got her. She's arrested. We're going to get the whole story. She got arrested in New Hampshire, right? And then you dig a little deeper. You just dust, dust, off, dust it off just a little bit. And you go, well, she was in France. And France, she's a, Fr- a French citizen. She was born there. They don't have extradition. They don't extradite citizens. So if she was in New Hampshire and got arrested in New Hampshire, she was in New Hampshire because she was allowing herself to be arrested by the FBI. So what does that say? Right. So asking questions like that get really interesting when you, when you start to just dig down a little bit and with all of this stuff and something that's, this is, this, 
the Connor Wanderers podcast is relatively new because COVID happened. <laughs> and I was, I was looking, I was kind of thinking about this thing as something I've been passionate about for a while, but never really spoke up about. And then we had all this time and I felt, I didn't really feel an integrity promoting my coaching program when the world was kind of falling apart, people were losing their jobs. It just felt kind of self-serving. It didn't feel right. So I took that time and invested it into something that I was really passionate about and have been passionate about for a while. And it's been super fun, man. It's been super fun. And I get a chance to look at essentially politics. I think of it as a one big human behavior experiment, right? So I take my understanding of personal development and human behavior science and try and overlay that onto what's going on in the world. And I think that's why you resonate with it is because I'm looking at it as what would someone need to think, believe, experience, et cetera, to put themselves in this position. So even, and this is where I get in, in trouble sometimes because I'll, like I'll rip Joe Biden one day and then I'll rip Trump the next, next day. So people don't really know where I'm coming from um, and don't, they can't put me in a box, right? I'm not a conservative. I'm not a liberal. I'm not, I'm, I'm a left-leaning independent pretty yeah, much, so that's and, which, puts, which <laughs> puts me in the, in the category that gets to criticize everybody because left-leaning independents don't like Democrats either. <laughs> so like, yeah. I think that Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi are both trash. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of where I come from. So I look at this and I'm trying to think, you know, what's, what's the best path forward? Um, how can we perceive this in a way that actually gives us some more, I would say, a healthier mindset versus um, more, more aggressive and, and I would say triggered mindset. And, and, and that's, we're seeing it all now, man. I mean, the world's kind of in, in as much chaos as I've ever seen. You know, I think probably the most chaos since the Vietnam War, as far as people speaking up and standing up. Um, for what they believe in. And it's been, it's just, I've just been feeling really grateful lately to be able to have these kind of conversations around this stuff and, and just sit down for an hour, hour and a half and just talk about uh, what's going on in the world and try to share perspective. Because I don't think I'm right. And I actually had someone leave a review on the podcast. I said, I don't always agree with them, but I really love this show. And that was a really great compliment to me because I don't even always agree with myself if I look back a month or a week or sometimes a day. And I... I take it as my responsibility to share perspective as opposed to tell you what's right or wrong. And it's, it's been super fun. And even getting in today, I think, you know, Brett Weinstein has been, he was just recently on the Joe Rogan podcast and I follow him on, on YouTube. And he was talking about the difference between critical thinking and critical feeling. And I think that's a very important thing to discern there is, is, is understanding are your feelings running your decision-making process or are you allowing your, your emotions to be a, a part of your decision-making process? And what we're seeing a lot of now on the left and the right and wherever you live, everybody, you know, if you live in a major city, you've seen protests, you've seen people get riled up, you may have even seen shootings and violence. And I feel like that's, that's the product of allowing your emotions to run the show, right? And, and, and you can, Doing that, whether you're defending the Second Amendment or you're, or you're protesting police brutality, doing that is, in my opinion, um, part of the problem. You're, you're not letting your emotions inform action. You're letting your emotions do the acting for themselves. And you can feel very validated and justified in those actions, um, even though it may not necessarily be productive. And that's, you know, I have a big, my big complaint about what's been going on is that a lot of it has been productive, but a, a lot of it has just been, has been doing nothing but giving the opposing side, whatever that side is, more and more leverage against your movement. And it's been sad to see. And that's one of the big, uh, big criticisms of the protests lately is that we don't have an end goal. We don't have this, here is what justice is. This is what we want. Here's how we're going to get it. It's, it's 
we're all pissed and we're just going to keep pulling down statues and, and try and blow up Mount Rushmore or whatever it is, which is just, to me, it's kind of pissing in the wind, you know, but I think that the net, it will net positive. It'll, it'll flush out over time. Um, but it's been just really fascinating to watch this happen. And honestly, man, I started Connor Wanders to just make fun of politicians. And then this all happened. Like it was, it was kind of, oh, let me get, you know, there's a, some funny stuff and Biden's always putting his foot in his mouth and Trump saying dumb shit on the regular. So I have plenty of content. <laughs> and then this happened and I was like, well, now I'm, I'm even more fired up. Right. Cause now this is putting our healthcare system on blast. This is putting our, our government, it's exposing a lot of, of weaknesses economically and, um, and in the government. And it's been really almost, it's shocking and also not surprising at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, and well, you know, just to, to rewind a bit, the, uh, I do, I do, I want to drill down a little bit on this idea of letting the emotions run the show. Um, and I don't want people to misunderstand that as to be totally devoid of how you feel about something. And I think you, you did say that, but I don't want that people just think, well, what, what, what do you think is right? Because that's where you get into, into trouble because the rational mind can figure out whatever it's the confirmation bias comes in, whatever the different scenario is, but, um, and I had a conversation with our friend JP Moore, uh, JP uh, Sears yesterday, and we talked about the idea there's so much information, there's so much really in- misinformation that you have to really anchor into how does something make you feel? Now, again, you don't just go batshit crazy on that emotion, but I think that's like step one. Like, how does this make me feel and why does it make me feel this way? And is that a valid thought and feeling and emotion and then what do I want to do with that? And so like, what are your thoughts? You know, how does it practically look in that sense? Personally? Yeah. Like on, on an individual level. And I think that's one thing that I've, a good friend of mine told me this once is like all, all of your feelings are valid to you personally. So if you're angry, sad, frustrated, uh, whatever it is, like that feeling to you is coming from a place, right? A place in your experience, maybe passed down to you, right? It could do, we, we have no idea where that came from a lot of times, but you have this feeling of just anger is a popular one right now. I like to just be more inquisitive with it, right? It's where, instead of just acting on the anger, right? I'm angry. And you can think about this in like a fight with your partner or a friend. Like if you just act on the anger, you're going to say things you don't mean and do stuff you regret. And hopefully you're going to end up apologizing. Right. But if you sit with that anger and be like, okay, I'm experiencing a shit ton of anger right now. Where is that coming from? Why is it coming from that place? And what's the best thing for me to do about it? And I think having that mindset of just, of just again, it's, it's a kind of this, this intersection of critical feeling and critical thinking, right? It's having to, some discernment. And sometimes it's, it's even looking at it and saying, is that just a me thing, right? This feeling that I'm feeling, am I feeling a, 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 an, um, a larger amount of, of this feeling than most people? similar to me, right? Is there something in my own life experience that really charges me up? And I can say that about police brutality, for example, in my own personal experience, like the thing, same thing that they did the same thing that they did to George Floyd, to my dad, when they arrested him. Oh, no shit. Knee on the, knee on the back, knee on the neck, tased him twice. Thing about my dad is he has, uh, he, he painted airplanes and cars his whole life. So he, wear, he would wear a big heavy uh, face mask, helmet thing, uh, gas mask type deal to filter out the air. 
And so he develops degenerative neck issues in his cervical. So he had to get rods put in his neck. So his neck doesn't actually bend forward or to the left or the right very much. So when he got arrested and he just got out of prison, he was in for about six years. Um, they put him on the ground and we're trying to get him to put his head sideways on the ground. Well, my dad's head doesn't turn that way because he's got rods in his neck. So they, they uh, not only did they arrest him for you know, drug possession or whatever it was, um, they would get him for resisting arrest because he wouldn't put his head down. And that's why they tased him. Not understanding that the dude's neck doesn't move. It's fused. And so this is like for me, I'm very entitled to have a disproportionately emotional reaction when it comes to police brutality. But, and I could do that and I could, I could throw everything I'm every, everything I'm angry about on Instagram and I could blame everybody and say all cops are bastards and do whatever. But that's a personal experience that I had that most people didn't have and most people won't understand. Right. And that's why I try and empathize so much with the, with the black community because being around a lot of similar situations that the black community has been around. I can understand that to an extent. I'll never understand what it's like to have a different color skin, obviously, but I, I am very passionate about it, but I sit back and say, Hey, what's the most productive thing for me to do about this? Right? So there were certain days when I was, we would go out to protest and I would say, is it better for me to do a podcast or to go protest? I had to make a choice. But for, for me personally, the best thing for me to do, even though I would feel probably feel better about going out and being in that crowd and, and, and chanting and marching and doing these things, I'm going to sit my ass down and do the thing I don't want to do, but that actually benefit, I feel benefits more. I'm going to really look at it. And, and it's that kind of thought process that I feel is very powerful for people to take in. And that's contagious, right? It's, it's preaching a, a, a critical feeling narrative and Hey, like let's, con- be, let's be constructive. Killer Mike said the same thing when he gave his speech, it's time. It, it, he was talking about how it's time to plan and strategize and then create action. And I don't think, and that's where you see, and then if you look at, if you turn on Fox news and during any protest, you're going to see, well, this building's being burned down or this person's being violated, violent, violently handled, or, you know, people are hitting cops, whatever it is. Like they're just that, that. The hard thing is, even though it feels so right to do that thing at the time, yep. you're hurting, you're hurting your movement. You know, and if you look at the, at the way that Martin Luther King or Gandhi talked about this stuff, it, it's very powerful and it still resonates today because a lot of the same issues are still present. So it's been, it's been really interesting for me to, to try and get that across, but also do it in a fun way and in a reverent way in like my style of, of, of speech. Um, but I think there's a lot to that. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing I want to talk about in a moment uh, is, you know, you were talking about Brett Weinstein and him being on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I had listened to, actually I listened to the whole thing. And one of the things that was discussed was, I believe, I believe it was in that one, is the lack of leadership right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and so I do want to talk about that, but before I do, I wouldn't be doing my job with the great unlearn if I didn't just point out you you paying attention to what felt right to you and what didn't feel right. And it didn't feel right for you to move forward with this thing that you said you were going to do. I'm going to do coaching and I'm going to offer this. And I think a lot of us override that feeling of that this, this doesn't feel right, but I'm supposed to, I said I was going to do it. I made a promise to myself, to my community. However, however we want to convince ourselves. And you said, no, I'm not going to do that. This other thing is calling me. 
And look what's happened. Like you, you've really been inspired by this. You've gotten more and more clear on how you feel about it. And, and I think also what I wanted to mention is I think that is why your, uh, your content around this really feels good for a lot of people because you're not choosing one, you're not choosing size. You're being very discerning because there are things that both do uh, well and there are things that both candidates are idiots about. And <laughs> yeah. you, you, in me, I'll speak for myself, you gain a ton of credibility by being able to play both sides of each person and whoever's out there. And I think, again, you're speaking to what I don't like about politics is you're on, you know, you're the blue side or the red side and, and all that bullshit. There's no discernment with that whatsoever. It's my problem with organized religion that there's a bit of inclusiveness and, you know, we can go down that whole rabbit hole, but I just want to acknowledge that um, if, if, you identify with one or the other, then maybe your work isn't for them, or maybe it's exactly who they need to listen to. But if you're like me and you think both sides are idiots and you, you just can't make sense, you can't relate. You can't, I can't relate to it because there's no, like, how does each person really feel about all of these issues? Cause I know that's not how they really feel. It's a yeah. bunch of bullshit. And so mm -hmm. again, I just want to acknowledge that. And, um, and again, I, I love the example that you're setting for what feels right for you. And, 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 and just a, an aside here, Connor and Kelly started, and I want to get into this later, but you started a soul fire productions, which is a podcast production community. Um, there's a, it's a network. It does a lot of things and, and I've recently joined on and it's been amazing, but one of the things we talked about in our, I think our very first meeting was I expressed to you, I said, there's just stuff like about Instagram that I don't want to do. And it just doesn't feel right. And you both were just like, kind of gave me permission. Like, yeah, you're right. Like it's maybe not this, the direction, like you need to promote on it. It's important, but like YouTube feels like a better fit for you. And I'm like, yeah, it's like a longer clip. It's just there. And it, it's, mm -hmm. it felt more attuned and and so anyway that's i've 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 loved that about you've you've always to me seen to have that ability to um to challenge the people that you love right and to have empathy for the people that maybe you don't love and um i think you're showing yourself that that same kind of respect in just honoring what feels right for you so i just wanted to acknowledge that yeah, man, I appreciate that. And that's, that's actually, I'm grateful that I kind of went on my spiritual journey the way and when I did, because in the time when I was there, it was my business had really, it just Well, let's failed. talk about that. We'll give, give yeah. people a little context for it. Yeah. So I had, uh, I had opened a gym, uh, here in, or in, here in Austin, I'm in Denver now in Austin. Um, you never saw the gym, did you? Mm -mm. It was a really cool spot and I had a lot of pride in it. And I made a, I made a handful of really I would say naive decisions, right? And that's that's a first-time business owner doing their thing. Um, but what had happened is that we had put a lot put a lot of money into this thing, and we're doing our doing our thing, and 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 we're really cruising. And, and the clients loved it, but there was some real estate fraud on the back end, and we were fraudulently induced into the lease, and they never held up their end of the bargain. And anyways, it turned into like I had the gym for maybe six seven months open before I was now I'm like in legal battles. 
So I think it made it about a year and a half. And that just kind of came crumbling down. I lost like $60,000. It was just, it was rough, man. And it, and it was, it was all, I'd spent my whole twenties working towards this goal. I was so going to say, let, let, just for context, you didn't really have $60,000 to lose. In a yeah, sense. no, it wasn't exactly. <laughs> and it was like family money and it was, it was, it was, it was rough, you know, and that's coming from an oil and gas family. That's kind of, that, that shit happens, you know? Yeah. So there was a, some, there was my, my granddad who had kind of funded this thing. And he, I grew up with my grandparents. He's, essentially my dad. Uh, and it really pushed me into do it being a business owner and was really proud of me. But, and then the same, like in oil and gas, you may spend a million dollars drilling a hole in the ground and it may be worthless. <laughs> you just have a really deep hole. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, he understood and things had happened, but it was one of those deals where it's either you can be, you can go into litigation with this company or you can just walk away. And I, I, there was no real winning for me in that. It was really messed up. And I was, I hit a bottom because I'd spent, you know, I decided I wanted to open a gym when I was 19 and I was 28 and my world kind of came crumbling down, which is for the spiritual ones out there. It's like your Saturn return, I believe what that's called. So I went into kind of, I had a little bit of cash from selling my gym that was liquid. That was kind of off the books. So I just lived on that for a few months and I was like, I'm just going to take three months and, and really just figure out what the hell I actually want. Right. Like I, I, I've just been doing what I thought I should do for my, for a decade, you know, and here I am with nothing less than I've ever had, you know, I've got my 80, my 85, uh, Land Cruiser and my dog and I'm eating rice and chicken every meal and avocados. <laughs> but you know, I, I, I was like, what do I have to lose? So I started getting into Alan Watts was, it was kind of my go-to person. I really resonated with what he had to say. And I was trying mushrooms out for the first time. And I would just go out to, um, to, uh, into, to the, um, to the green belt in Austin and just sit in the Creek a little bit of mushrooms and just listen to Alan Watts for a few hours with my dog and he'd run around and started to find like being grounded again. And, um, that, that whole experience, really, there was one moment I was walking down this trail and I'll, I'll hope I remember this rest of my life, but, um, where Alan Watts talks about how the meaning of life is to experience. And essentially we're a nerve ending on the universe. And just like you have a nerve ending in your finger that is, is feels pain and warmth and cold. Uh, you are that a manifestation of the universe in that way. And the ocean waves and trees, leaf and the universe peoples. And that in that moment, I felt like I'd never heard anything that made so much sense to me because it made my entire life make sense. And so from then on out, I, I wanted to, find a way. And it was kind of like, let, let me make my life make sense. Let me leverage my experience. Instead of having a shit ton of resentment for the you know, Christian church, let me understand what context that gave me now. You know, instead of resenting my mom for being an addict and, and, and just fighting with her all the time, let me look at that and see how can I leverage that for my own growth. Maybe what that can do for me is help me understand how I can be more compassionate for people who have been through hard times. Right. Because I know that she was hurting enough already and it didn't help for me to pile on because I was angry. So what can I do about it to make my life better? Because being angry at her isn't helping anybody. Now, and I may be right in every argument that we have, but it doesn't do me any good. I don't, I don't actually win a prize for that, for winning that fight, you know, and that shift in context kind of catapulted me into what became you know, the realness and, and what became my coaching program. And, and I just started writing, I started writing and putting my thoughts out there in a way that I never had because my whole life up until then was, was 
on the, on the surface was lift the biggest weights, move the fastest, beat people at stuff and, and be loud and, and play your personality up. And one of the greatest things about coaching, and this is how you and I met was through the OPEX coaching program. Um, one of the great things about coaching is that I had a platform to speak to people. I was used to speaking to people and, and, and making things that were complicated, simple. So if I could do that with psychological concepts, with spiritual concepts, with at this point now, political concepts and make them understandable in a way that that can be communicated. I feel like that empowers people to make their own decisions and reframe the way they've lived their life. Cause really we have, you know, experience in life and the way we express ourselves and the way we, what we experience dictates how we express ourselves and to find authenticity in that, which has now become a buzzword. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I was using it before it was cool, but, uh, <laughs> But to find authenticity in that, you've got to broaden your boundaries of experience. And maybe what you were told was right and wrong, and what you should and shouldn't do when you were a child and that you've embodied doesn't really serve you that much. And maybe you can question that a little bit. And that's even the coaching program is really me facilitating people having almost doubts about themselves. Like, let's doubt your beliefs. I even talk about this with the flat earth theory. I'm like, the best thing about the flat earth theory is that you kind of want to believe it for a minute. And it makes you question something you've thought you knew for a long time, even though you come back around to being like, that's complete nonsense. <laughs> Just for a brief moment, you go, huh, maybe. And that if we did that with everything, <laughs> you, you just end up with being more curious about yourself, you know? Well, I love, I love you. The, the thing you just said, maybe, you know, I, I, that's something that's really carried a lot of weight for me when I understood that it didn't have to be yes, no, right, wrong, black, white, any of it. It could just be maybe, and maybe just right. Let you sit in that inquiry, and and it's really the uh, one of the truest kind of uh, ideas that I've experienced because in everything there is a bit of truth, maybe a lot of truth, maybe a little bit of truth, but there's also a lot of untrue, you know. And so there's nothing. There's, there's rarely do we find anything that is one hundred percent truth. And I think the maybe it allows you to just breathe and to be curious. And as you said, to question, I mean, that's something that I'm, I've been really uh, intent on. And it's something that I share with, you know, the people I work with and with the, the listeners here is like, let's question it all. Like, why not? Yeah. And, and you bring up the, the, the point of the, the flat earth. I mean, yeah. What about the, the landing on the moon? Like, I'm kind of curious, like, did that really happen? I was so sure it did, but there's some doubts. I don't know. <laughs> like, it's okay. It, it, like, whether it happened or not doesn't, it doesn't matter. I don't know if it happened or not, but if I had to bet, I, if I had a choice to bet on it, I would, I don't know if I don't think I would. <laughs> I'd just be like, no, I'm not. I'm 50-50 on the moon landing. Yeah, it's just, but we're so sure of it. And like, no. We've been so programmed through our entire lives. It's certainly that school system, it's set up for that. And, and mm-hmm. you know, pardon the listeners, you've heard me rant about this before, but the school system, and I mean no offense to anyone who is a teacher who is in the school system. Um, my kids are in the school system, but school is based upon answers. And they're not even really answers. It's, it's someone else's experience with a particular thing. It's not based upon questions. You're not graded or rewarded on the quality of your questions. You're not encouraged to sit in the unknown and to go deeper and deeper. You and I know that 
asking the right questions does not land you on an answer. It lands on deeper inquiry, mystery, curiosity, wonder. And when we can let go of that masculine idea that I need to get to the end, I need the no, I need to fucking know. That's why I loved math so much because there was always Mm. an answer and I was good at it. And so that felt really good for me. But as I've kind of stepped into this part of my life, I've let go of that stuff. My math skills are still on point, but see, you can have both folks. It's like Buddhism. You don't have to, it's not one or the other. You can have it all. But, but really just like letting go of having to know because so much of the stuff, you know, when you have those awakenings, whether it's one big one or it's a series of little ones, you start to see that so much of what you believed your beliefs are bullshit. They're false. They're not yours. They're not based on your experience. And yeah. when you start to tune into how things make you feel, I think Ram Dass does an amazing job of this. He talks about having a knowing. And that knowing is based in faith. It's not based in belief. Belief is like opinions and ideas about things that we're attached to where faith is we just know. And a lot of times we can't even explain it. And if you can't explain it, but you know, fuck man, I think you're onto something. At least that's been my experience. I feel like this is just kind of coming up for me now, but I feel like faith is more flexible than belief. I think that faith has a little bit of ability to evolve and adapt. And this is one of the things I, I have these conversations with my mom about Christianity is can your faith adapt to a different mindset towards the Bible, for example, right? Or can your faith, and if you think you want to take it into the politics realm, can your faith in the Constitution adapt based on current context? And your faith in whatever it is in the school system, can it change? Like there's, can your faith can adapt, but I feel like beliefs become very personal. And if, you're, if you find out your beliefs are valuable or they're wrong, and all of a sudden you're wrong and you're broken and you're fucked up. And then it's like, well, then the only response to that is to either be depressed or be defensive. Oh, defend the fuck out of that. Yeah. You dig your heels in and it's like, Oh God. And then the whole time, you know, you want to talk about what's broken in the world the whole time, the media companies are just making money because they want you to invest. Yeah. And they they love, they love the broken souls. And yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's the part where I know in the past where I've turned away from it, turned away from it, when I've, these things have started to show up is maybe wrong and I haven't had the balls, the courage, or really the tools to go into it. I haven't had the support. I haven't had the love of my brothers and sisters to say, dude, you're still lovable even if you've gotten this entire thing wrong because you're, you, like everybody else, is doing the best they can. And I think we're not given permission, you know, en masse, that none of that shit is your fault, but if you decide to turn away from it, you're really you're you're missing an opportunity to see what's true for you. Mm-hmm. And is it that so? This whole idea of personal truth, right, which can get kind of it can become like a, a spiritual bypassing tool if you let it. But I think there's something really powerful about allowing what resonates with you to resonate with you. And that's so, isn't that something that, that I even said this back in the day, I was, I was born in, in this small Texas town and I was, I was straight Republican and Christian until proven otherwise, right? Yeah. That was, yeah. that was where I was at. I was, <laughs> I was guilty until proven innocent. Right. And I was like, well, what if, what if, 
what if they would have brought us into a room in, I don't know, sixth, seventh grade, right? When you're starting to get your hormones and you're getting all weird. And they go, you had like a religious studies class, right? I mean, we might as well. We have all kinds of other silly stuff going on. Um, it's like, hey, here's all the ones that, that make sense. And here's kind of, and have somebody who's kind of agnostic teaching this, which is kind of, here's the deal. Here's Christianity. Here's Buddhism. Here's Taoism. Here's Hinduism. Here's uh, Muslim religions. Like it's, you can look at that. Like, well, what's one of these like really, which one of these do you feel like is going to make your life, make you live your life better? Which one of these are you going to learn the most from? Which are you going to feel most passionate about? Or none of them. And here's also atheism. And here's, here's what it means to be agnostic and just giving people a rundown. Same thing. If you're talking about sexuality, it's like, here's the whole array of sexual, sexual orientations. I don't know. Try a few out. See which one makes sense for you. There's no shame in it. You know, you want to, you want to fuck around with dudes for a little bit and see if, if you like that. Cool. If it doesn't work out for you, no shame in that game. Like go back to your life, like figure it out and just giving people like, here's the, here's the wide open, like none of this is wrong necessarily. None of this is necessarily right. It's just, it is what it is. And which one, which one, if you had to pick one or, or several of them, you don't have to pick any in, in itself by, alone, like which one fits right for you? And just give people the freedom to do that. That way we're not doing it in our fucking mid thirties. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, oh man, like I, I know so many guys who, uh, in Austin who came out when they were like in their late twenties and, but they always knew, but they dated girls and tried to like, see if it would, you know, and then God forbid you're in the, in the pray the gay away community. That's a whole different situation. And it's like, why, why, like, do we need to do that? Do we need to, do we need to to leverage shame to create what we believe is, is the, the proper order of society is that that doesn't necessarily need to be our driver. That doesn't make any sense. No. And, 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 and I, I think that's a great analogy and, you know, just to, to pull back to the religion one for a bit, like why not pull all the things from each of them that really resonate with you, you know, and just be whatever you're called to feel. And again, back to the faith idea in, in, be adaptable. Let it change as you have new experiences. As new information comes in, you you better change because there's new there's new context for everything. But I don't think yeah. that's encouraged. And yeah, there's so much shame around. Um, I mean, there's shame around religion, whether you're in or you're out, exclusive or not. But certainly around sexual sexual orientation, like that is a lot of that stuff happens on the sneak tip because people don't want to be found out. And it's like that mm -hmm. it's, we know that all that stuff that's repressed. Oh, it just, it, it, it's, it's, it's toxic and it creates all these other issues down the line. But, but again, our, our culture isn't supportive of that. Now you'll find pockets of it where they're small, man. They're not they're really, we don't think it's that small because it's Austin, San Francisco, Denver, LA, New York, whatever. But that's not the like if that was the if that was the majority of the population, then Republicans would never win an election. Right. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's a very those are small pockets. And to get there, and I've got this um I've got this cousin, second cousin. <laughs> his, name, his name is Jimmy Dan, right? And uh he's my dad's, he's my dad's nephew. So yeah, anyways, um and I always knew he was gay since I knew what gay was, right? Super flamboyant, lives in Graham, Texas still. And I was like, man, why the hell? I was thinking about this just like a little while back. I'm like, why does this flamboyant gay dude live in a super repressed Texas town? And then I realized, I was like, oh, he's fucking all the closeted gay dudes. <laughs> oh, yes. Fucking brilliant. I was like, it's a gold mine. <laughs> 
Just playing the game on another level. I was like, dude, Jay, you just were you were, you were next level. I wasn't even comprehending the level of 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 homoerotic fantasies that are going on in that repressed little town. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> oh, so listen, you brought up earlier. You mentioned the Constitution in passing, and I'm just curious your ideas around this, and I have not explored this at all, but it, can we rewrite it? I mean, it, it's, it's showing its age, right? There's some shit mm-hmm. about it. Like, and, and I guess the question isn't even should we. It sounds like we probably should, but could we? Could we in this climate with Republicans and Democrats and all this, you know, um, discord? I don't think so right now. I think, and here's the thing about this, and I don't, I don't even necessarily think it needs to be rewritten, but if you look at the historical context of the thing, like that was, it was written by slave owners and, and, and powerful people. It wasn't written by the people. And, and even if you look back at the whole situation, there was, wasn't as much disdain amongst, amongst black and white, like even slaves and poor black people kind of lived in a very similar reality. And there was actually a lot of peace between them, even some uprisings of, of inter-raced um, populations, right? So you, it, we've been having the same fight since 17, 1700s. Like the same kind of stuff was going on during the, uh, during the writing of the Constitution. So it, it is showing its age, but what we have here, I think more than they had then is, is an extreme divisiveness. And, and it just couldn't even legislation now, like getting a law passed right now is, is a complete dumpster fire, yeah. right? Because then they'll sneak things in into the bill and it's weird and you don't know. And then it's named like the Patriot Act, but really they're just spying on you without, you know, they're, they're, that, that is that an act to violate your constitutional rights. We just, so, just take a moment and just unpack that for people because I was naive enough to think for a long time that the Patriot Act was there to protect us. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's, for, what, for people, yeah, just really dumb it down for them. I'm trying to think it was Julian Assange or Edward Snowden. I, I know not super educated on this, but essentially that was what was passed after September 11th to be able to go through all your data. Right. And they're even, how is they're it, even, how go- is it billed to us scared Americans that were scared? For yeah. The it was sold to us as the Patriot Act. So we're going to keep you, we're going to make sure there's no domestic terrorists here going to fly more planes into more buildings, but really just like opened up the, the coffers to be able to just go through all your information. Right. And it was, yeah, I mean, they could, yeah, they could be listening to this right now legally. They probably are. Of the Patriot Act. Yeah. And then, they, no and then now we have, and it's something I'm, I'm needing to research more is the Earn It Act, which is an extension of that because um, social media platforms want to do end to end encryption. So you can't get in to see people's messages. And the government, of course, is trying to block that. But they're, they're hiding that behind the shield of, oh, we're trying to um, prevent uh, child pornography. So they put it behind these really just like facades, but really, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's the state of politics now. So for them to even consider the idea of rewriting the constitution now, it's, it would be, yeah, it would, yeah, it would be, it would be, a, it would be a, a civil war to what happened yeah. in my opinion, yeah. which we're close to now in, 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 in a modern, in a modern way. Yeah, but be, like, I think that the point is there'd be no way to land on anything that made sense. Like it, at least back then, like the, the constitution as it's written seems like it's pretty spelled, you know, it, yeah. it's clear what, who knows what their real intentions were, but it's, it's understandable. <laughs> I think this would be very convoluted. 
yeah, you can, you can only imagine what, yeah. <laughs> it would be, be a wild ride. I'd like to see it. <laughs> I'd like to see somebody try. <laughs> yes. So hey, something, uh, when we were talking about Democrats and Republicans a little bit earlier, um, a buddy of mine had sent me this quote from Malcolm X. For a long time, I guess I identified on the Republican side, like you did, conservative, da 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 um, Those ideas had shifted. I don't identify with either party for obvious reasons, but I just, I try to, what feels right to me mm-hmm. as a human. Um, but I, I, when I was identifying with the Republican, I never thought the Democrats were that great, as great as they said they were, you know? I would say they're self, no. I, they're as self-righteous as I think they are. Right. I would say no offense, but I, if you're offended, then that's good. Then maybe you need to look into that. But it's a kind of a long quote, so I'm just bear with me here. I'll 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 read a little bit of it, and, uh, and again, this isn't necessarily my take, but this is Malcolm X, someone who is considered very militant, and you know, um, this, you know, to, to understand if if that's even possible, right? To even understand what he was seeing, what he was mm-hmm. feeling, how tuned in he was to what was going on uh, and how people were being, you know, his people were really being um, tricked in a lot of ways. And I think this is what he's speaking to here, but um, I don't know. It just made me understand like, oh my God, he was hardly militant. Like just understanding what was going on. He should have been, could he had, he had arguably way more uh, capacity for that type of anger and militancy than he demonstrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, let's just read a little bit of this. The white liberal is the worst enemy to America and the worst enemy to the black man. Let me explain what I mean by white liberal. In America, there is no such thing as Democrat or Republican anymore. This was 60, 70 years ago. And he was tuned into this. Uh, in America, you have liberals and conservatives. And only people living in the past who think in terms of I'm a Democrat or Republican is the American Negro. He is the one that runs around bragging about party affiliation. Well, a lot of white people do too. Um, He's the one that sticks to the Democrat or sticks to the Republican. But white people are divided into two groups, liberals and conservatives. The Democrats who are conservative vote with Republicans who are conservative. The Democrats who are liberal vote with Republicans that are liberal. The white liberal aren't white people who are for independence, who are moral and ethical in their thinking. They are just a faction of white people who are jockeying for power. The same as the white conservative is a faction of white people that are jockeying for power. They are fighting each other for power and prestige. Here's the thing. The one that is the football in the game is the Negro, 20, back then, 20 million black people, a political football, a political pawn, an economic football, an economic pawn, a social football, a social pawn. And he kind of goes on and on. And it's like, look, we're being duped here. Like, don't, buy, like, we need to take care of ourselves. Um, and so, again, like, I'm curious, like, your thoughts on that. Like, honestly, when, when he said, my buddy sent it to me a couple of weeks ago, I was like, oh, man, I, I, I never really heard it articulated that way. Uh, And it made sense to me. And I'm not saying that there aren't white liberal 
Democrats who don't truly care about, you know, other people of different races and mm-hmm. the same for, you know, conservative Republicans. I'm not saying that, but by and large, what he's saying is the party and the, 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 the conservatives and the liberals, like it, it's, it's not about the individual or the group of people. It's really about how can we gain this power? And that is, if we can get those, that group of people on our side, much like Trump did, he gathered his, you know, his collection of whatever, you wanna, whatever you want to call them and won the election. He understood mm-hmm. there's a, there's a part of the population that can be exploited and he did it geniusly. Yeah. I mean, I would say that it's not only black Americans that are being exploited, but that is a, it's a large part of the voter base and historically, I mean, in recent history, you know, the Democrats get about 90% of the black vote. So if you get that to swing, you're talking about elections, right? Like it's not a small, it's not a small thing. Um, and he's got a, he's got a point there. And of course, politics were a little bit different now than they are back then. There was a time, and I'm talking like LBJ era time, where there when was it, a lot more. When was that? Uh, uh, in the late 60s. Okay. I believe. I mean, back check me. I, I, I knew that, but that was for my audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so LBJ is who, won the, who signed the Civil Rights Act. And you can say that things, there was a lot going on. That's when they say like the party switched, right? Because if you look back and this is something you'll see Republicans say all the time is like, well, the Democrats were responsible for, they were fighting for slavery, right? That was the Confederates. And of course that was things happen. Things consistency switch belief switch that that goes on and on. Um, But they won't sit here and say, well, Democrats are the one who signed the civil rights, civil rights act. Right. So that, there was a lot, you can say it was, it was more egregious back then the way that black people were treated. Um, So there was some big strides taken in desegregation and things of that nature. Uh, which really turned the tables. And I think that the black vote in the Democratic Party has been uh, pretty solid since then. I mean, you can see Joe Biden said, you know, told uh, Charmaine the God, like, <laughs> you ain't black if you don't know who you're voting for, which is incredibly offensive because, you know, who knows if Trump's wouldn't done more for the black people, black, the black community than, than I mean, he, Obama didn't do shit for the black community. Right. Like uh, during the 2008 crisis, the people that got hit hardest were poorer communities, which are disproportionately black. And homeownership has been an ongoing struggle for the black community. Like there's not really been somebody who's come up and said like, we're going to actually do something. And somebody fucking said that they'd have my vote. Like, okay, let's transfer a shit ton of wealth into these, into these impoverished communities, which I mean, all of them, not just the black ones, but that's like, that's disproportionately black. If you go to most cities, I mean, go to Austin, go up North onto um, just North of 183 there. That's like, that's what used to be East Austin. That's like the, the black community in Austin. And it's very, you can sit here and tell me you don't know what the black community is in your town. You know what the fucking black community is in your town. And that there's something to be said for that in itself. So it's been really interesting to see how they are leveraged in a lot of ways. And they, it, and it doesn't pay off. It just hasn't paid off for them in a way that's like, that's been really productive. And it's, 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 it's infuriating. And we get lied to all the time. And we get like, you get this song and dance about how this is going to happen. And, you know, it's just, who's going to do it? You know, who's going to, who's going to force that to happen? And, you know, I believe we had somebody like that in, in a Bernie Sanders type candidate. But if you look back a little bit, you, you have this shift in, in political parties where, and this is kind of a Clinton era situation 
and they call this like neoliberals, neoconservatives, and they bias. It's it's a business first, right? You can even think like uh, Reagan era, like trickle down economics, right? So it's business first. Uh, business will solve the problems. Capitalism will solve the problems. And what we're seeing now, you know, 20, 30 years later, is that that wasn't necessarily the case. You know, that that's not how it went, how it went down. And that changed the Democratic Party into a, coming from a party of the people, which is what it had been kind of marketed as. And, and I think if you look historically, like the, the JFKs of the, of the world, like that was, there, there was a lot of that into, a, into just the same. You have two parties now. Who are who are putting the priority on corporations, and that doesn't create balance because I think that the the if you want to look at it now, Democrats conserv- or, uh, conservatives and liberals, right? We'll just call it that instead of Democrat and Republican. Conservatives are always going to lean business, right? Business first, and then liberals are going to lean people first. And you actually, I believe you need that. I don't think everybody should be a liberal. I don't think everybody should be a conservative. I don't think I think they're both right and they're both wrong, and so they need to balance each other out because what we need is in the middle. What we have is a, a Democratic Party that's essentially like center, center left, maybe, and then a Republican Party, which is right. And I would even say our Democratic Party on the global scale leans right. Um, if you look at a Bernie Sanders candidate, which everybody said he was some kind of wild, like leftist, communist, whatever you want to call it. They didn't debate his ideas. They just called him a socialist and a communist. He's like center left globally, right? If you want to look at it, it's and and and. It's, it's been this really wild, like, misin- misinformation um, era that we live in where information is so readily available and just and so manipulated that we don't have any idea what to really think. So I think that there's this, this kind of, and you can see it more and more, and it gets kind of dangerous to a point where people are wanting to move into an era where we're moving to the left, and there's a lot of resistance to that. You know, you can see what happened 2008 and the coronavirus crisis. Both of those showed extreme weaknesses in the way that we've conducted ourselves and the way that we've set up our, 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 the structures of our government and our economic state. And there's very little security for a large, large portion of this, of this country. I mean, you're talking about 50 million people being unemployed at one time. Like, that's a lot of people. You know, that's... That's, just, that's what, 25% or something like that of the country. So it gets, it gets, or it's 20%, excuse me, but it's, it gets really, I'm trying to kind of go in all over the place here, but it's, it's been interesting to see this shift as I've looked back historically to see how we essentially have two parties that are pro-corporate and that power that both of them get, and this is what Malcolm X is talking about, that quest for power. They went that direction for power and we pay the price for it, right? Like normal Americans pay the price for it. And it's been really shady. I mean, and you can think even about tax laws, you can think about whatever, but then they want to go in and say, okay, well now the left, right? The Democrats are going to virtue signal and they're going to talk about trans rights. They're going to talk about civil rights and they're going to talk about the black community and black lives matter. And they're going to take a knee with a kente cloth and they're going to do their thing and they're going to signal, they're going to dog whistle to their constituents. But really that's all, that's all marketing. I think about that as marketing. They want you to, if you, if you agree with their, with their social beliefs or social kind of agenda that actually never does anything, right? And you're going to be on their side. And that means you're on that team. Same thing with the right. If you disagree with abortion and Planned Parenthood and, and you want to have guns, well, then you're on their team. But what's happening behind the scenes is that's, that's, all, that's all just like, it doesn't make that big of a difference in our world, right? Um, and people can argue with me all they want about that, but it's all, that's all like a, the facade. 
It's like, let's talk about social justice and let's talk about like freedom. That's their, that's their, that's their marketing campaign. That's it. And then on the back end, they're all pro big pharma, pro war, right? They're, they're not going to change. They're, they're, they don't want uh, a universal healthcare. They really give zero fucks about your health. And if you want to be honest about it, just by the way they conduct themselves, I don't give a shit what they say. I'm looking at how you conduct yourself. I know right now that it doesn't benefit health insurance companies. It doesn't benefit uh, pharmaceutical companies for you to be well. No one's making money from your wellness. And there's, you got to think about the amount of power that comes with that kind of influence politically. It's, it gets really wild. And it, that's one of the reasons that people want to see this whole thing burn down. Because we're angry. We got, we got taught bullshit history, been lied to by the people that we trust, that we put in power to represent us. And you're wondering why people are burning shit down and rioting in the streets and, and having autonomous zones in Seattle. Like, it's not a mystery. It's very evident why this is all going on. And it's, it's sad to see this happen when it, it, was, it didn't need to go this way. It didn't need to go this way. And we've been just really given the shaft. And, of course, this country is so much better than so many other countries. I mean, if you look at what China has to do and what they, how, they, how they treat, you know, even gay people, it's, like it's, it's archaic by our standards we can still do better, you know, and this lack of leadership, like you were talking about, no one's willing to have the hard conversations. No one's willing to say what's really going on. Even me me looking at running for office in 2022 is me looking at doing that and having the podcast, right. And doing the thing and then having a Dan Crenshaw, right. Like a, a Republican on the show and talking about our disagreements and where we're coming from. Right. I mean, Dan Crenshaw is one of the, I don't agree with his politics very really at all, but I respect him because he, he shoots it straight and he's not playing the game as much. Right, but you got to to get elected. It's just a weird, it's a weird world we live in. And I think people are fucking fed up with it. And when you, when you deny people what they feel like are their rights or, or a fair shake, then you have a rise in Marxism and communism and socialism, like real socialism, not like Scandinavian socialism, which is basically just capitalism with security. So you're seeing it, that's all a response to a, an incredible amount of unfairness and it gets a lot of attention and a lot of buzz. And you want to talk about Antifa or, you know, like how black lives matter organization is a Marxist organization. That's, that's in response to what I would consider like the worst of both worlds, right? A capitalistic, a capitalistic structure that has been, that is, that has punished people that had really had no shot. And that's, I think people are fed up with it. I'm fed up with it and I haven't even paid the price for it that much. You know, I, but I see other people that don't have a chance and are, are, you know, some of us are born on the 20 yard line in a hundred yard race. And some of us are born like past the end zone. You know what I'm saying? And it's, and it's, it's sad to see that in one of the most advanced countries in the world, we can't get our shit together enough to take care of our own people. Yeah. And it, the argument would be, well, again, you know, the system's not broken. It's working perfectly right now, but those who've set it up, right. So there's, there's no getting your shit together. And that's why we're having, this idea that it needs to be blown up. Now, I am curious, again, I mentioned it earlier, your thoughts on Black Lives Matter and this idea that it does seem to lack some sort of leadership. And just my naive mind is like, imagine if a guy like Barack Obama stepped in and like really organized what that whole movement's about. Um, and and I I just kind of you're you're more in the weeds with this stuff, and so where do you sit with the idea? Because I I think what what it stands for in my mind is really important, mm-hmm. but but 
but how it's played out, I can't even tell you how it's played out because I just I just know how it may be portrayed on some of the news that I may happen to see because I don't watch the news because I don't trust it. And so I'm trying to really make judgments based on what I see on social media by people that I trust. And even them, I don't really know them. I don't know their agenda. So it's like, how do we even really know? So we're like, what do you, what do you, what do you got for me? Uh, well, I think there's some hope. Uh, if you if you local elections and Senate and um, Congress elections, like there's there's been some really good progressive and a lot of black candidates that have been um, elected or they've gotten through the primary. So they'll be running in the general election in uh, this this November, which is great. I think that's a, that's one positive move in the right direction um, because those are actual people that are that are that are progressive, which was essentially leftist now is like progressive is what you would hear somebody call progressives. And I think that's great because then we have more actual progressives and then conservatives are going to do what conservatives do. Again, we have that balance. But I think one thing that's interesting, and I heard somebody just explain this, that I really thought made a lot of sense. Martin Luther King needed Malcolm X. And Malcolm X needed Martin Luther King. And it wasn't because they were on the same team necessarily. I know they disagreed about a lot, but Martin Luther King was the reasonable person, right? Malcolm X, and he was marketed this way, and I think he did this for himself in a lot of ways made himself out to be very militant and kind of scary, right? So it's like, well, you can deal with him or you can deal with Martin Luther King, right? And Martin Luther King became the most reasonable. Of course, they slandered him and talked about his affairs and all this other shit. But, and who knows, the CIA probably was involved in him getting shot, I, I think, based on what was going on in the world at the time. But, um, but he, was, he, he became like the the good cop, right? Yeah. <laughs> a really weird twist of fate. And we don't really have a lot of that now. It's just a bunch of angry people that are screaming and yelling. And that's the, that's the benefit of big protests and even riots to a point. It's like, well, you can deal with the reasonable person who's make, trying to make the same change or you can deal with the unreasonable ones. Like, which one do you want? Because the reasonable one has the ability to diffuse, right? By making change, has the ability to diffuse the riots and diffuse the protests and calm everybody down which obviously the, the powers that be don't have that ability or else they would have already done it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, when it comes to Black Lives Matter, 1 million percent down with the movement. The Black Lives Matter organization, I have doubts about. But that's, again, it's a political organization and they have their own agenda and I think they lean communist, which is, okay, like that's their belief system and they can do whatever they want. Um, I don't, I don't have a fear of communism in a lot of ways. I don't have a fear that communism is going to take over. I don't think that was even a realistic, um, idea during the cold war when that was sold to us. Um, but when it comes to this, yeah, it's being portrayed as all one thing. And I think the movement and the organization are different. I think that you and I are with the movement, right? Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'll stand up for that movement till I can't stand up anymore. Um, the organization, the actual organization that's like taking money, um, don't know enough about it. And I just inherently don't know enough about them to trust them in that situation. Right. Just because they have a cool name. Again, it's just marketing at that point. So, and that's controversial. I understand, but with all of it, I think it's brought a lot of awareness and that's why I think it's going to be a, a it's going to net positive for us in the end. I think when it shakes out, like there was a large demonstration of strength in in the populace, right. In the people, there was so much demonstration of strength in the people and overwhelming um, support for protesters, peaceful protesters. I mean, the support for po- protesters and Black Lives Matter, the movement, uh, based on polling in this country, was seventy percent. Mm, wow! Right? Yeah, great. So, yeah, and that's not the organization that's like 
do you believe that black, black lives matter? <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't know if there was an all lives matter option on that, on that poll, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you see what, what happens when you look at, when you look at, at the way this is manipulated is they roll them all into one, right? So if you believe that black lives matter, now you're a Marxist or you're a communist or you're a socialist, right? So it's like now it's, it's a, it's a, it's a way to undermine and discredit. So you'll notice that happens on both sides. Democrat, Republican is like, there'll be an idea a movement. And for a little, a little bit of time, you have this brief window. You can see this if you look back and this is a big movement. So you can see this. There was a brief time where this wasn't political, maybe a day or two days where it wasn't political. And then it becomes a partisan issue. Then it becomes, okay, now we're going to take this part of this. We're going to take this part of this. We're going to set our feet on the ground. Now we're going to argue about it. And that means nothing. Once it gets political, it means nothing's going to get done. Because now it becomes something that they're going to debate about. This is going to happen. And it becomes not a movement anymore. Now it's just, now the, the, the liberal end of the world wants everybody to keep protesting and keep rioting and do their whole thing. And the right wing people are condoning the whole thing. And they're, and they're undermining. The, and it's like, well, now it's not even what it was anymore. Now it's just media manipulation. Right, because you undermine and discredit is like the first step. You can see that MSNBC and Fox News do the same shit. It's crazy. I mean, Rachel Maddow, you can jump on there and she's undermining things. And I go flip over to another channel, and it's they're 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 taking a completely different stance on the same the same uh, the same topic. And a lot of that comes from I believe it was Reagan who abolished the Fairness of Information Act. And what that was was you had to have equal time for equal sides, basically, on, on TV. So TV is kind of almost like a public service at this point. So you had to have equal time for equal, equal debate, um, which isn't great for ratings, but great for information. And when you abolish that, that creates the gateway for Fox News to, um, to essentially take the same stance that professional wrestling takes um, as far as creating an audience. So you have a, you call it a hero and a heel. Right. So if you ever see a liberal on Fox News, it's like yeah. some bumbling idiot. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. So it's like, it's like, you know, um, a good example is like uh, The Rock, but he was, or no, Stone Cold Steve Austin. When he was starting, he was the heel. He would always lose. He was the bad guy. And everybody started loving him. Then he became the good guy. So they have to bring somebody else. And that per- that's the person that's like meant to be the bad guy that loses, you know? And certain people root for that guy and certain people root for over here. And what you saw with Donald Trump is that he was kind of the heel. He was like everyone everybody made fun of. But it didn't really work out. And that became Fox news kind of paved the way for what now we know as mainstream media, Fox news was the one to do that. Cause they were making hella money and they were getting great ratings and people loved it because like, Oh, these people agree with me. They're on my side. And you didn't have to ever hear any conflicting arguments. And yeah. if you did, they would, that, if you're watching, you know, Sean Hannity and somebody's trying to present Dude, a different argument and he's Hannity, just talking over them. Hannity and Combs. Oh my God. He used to run that guy over. It was incredible. <laughs> That was, that was the first one. That was, that was the one that kind of paved the way for that whole situation. Cause Combs was just kind of this like douchey kind of nothing guy. That he was had kind no of liberal. balls at all. And Hannity yeah. was such a prick and sharp and yeah. Yeah. I would, I mean, and Sean Hannity, like my grandmother, before she passed away, she loved that guy. She got into all kinds of him and Glenn Beck. And I was like, are you really wasting the end of your life doing this, watching this shit? Like this isn't even going to affect you at all. You know, Dude. it was, it was so wild. Dude. That's, I think, no offense if any of my listeners are over 65, but I think at 65 and over, they are just entrenched in Fox News or CNN, and that's just how they're going to ride this clock out. It's yeah. super fucked up. Yeah, it's wild. It is, and it's, you know, and I don't want to say that, like, millennials are the great, a great generation by any means, but I think that we've got the best of intentions, you know, with all of our entitlements and all of our, you know, 
social justice. Like, I think that by the time that my generation kind of grows up, you know, and I'm kind of an older millennial, I think I barely made it in by a couple of years. I think that we're doing great things. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of movement in the right direction and you're seeing, you know, this is the, 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 the bright side of capitalism is you're seeing companies like Uber, for example, were able to take down a huge industry by, by offering better products. Yeah. Right. And same thing happened. This company called Lemonade just got a $3 billion valuation. Um, and it's a, it's, it circumvents the insurance companies by, by doing it a different way. And they take like a fixed amount and they give, they donate their pro, like a lot of their profits to charity. So I think they're a B Corp as well. So that's like a different way. So instead of they're not, they're not trying to, that amount of money goes to charities regardless. Um, so they're not going to try and deny your claims based on profit. Cause that, that, that money doesn't go there. They take a, they take a fixed amount. So it's standard and then they're going to have to scale, but it's, I mean, they're, they just, they were just IPO I think yesterday. Awesome. So there's certain companies that are doing that, but I think if you look where the government money goes, it's into subsidies for corn and oil and coal and these things that we're like, dude, this, I'm, so, I, I'm sorry if you're a coal worker, but this is not exactly a job of the future, bro. It's same no. thing as a truck driver. And it's scary because if we don't have, this is why I have some socialist ideas because you think about truck drivers, that's a very big industry. In 20 years, there will not be truck drivers. If they're truck drivers, they're sitting in the, they're sitting going to be sitting in a Tesla truck, you know, reading magazines while it's driving, while it's getting to where they're going just to make sure nothing goes wrong. <laughs> so you take a, a large population of men, generally, I would say it's about 90, at least 90% men that drive trucks. I know a handful of these guys, not educated. A lot of them don't even have high school, degree, high school degrees and they're going to be out of work. What are you going to do? Right. You're going to think we, we are you going to think we can't, you're going to think we, we can handle that without some kind of universal basic income. If we don't start setting the framework for that stuff now, this is why I like Andrew Yang a lot. We don't start setting the framework for what is coming inevitably if things keep going the way they're going. We're going to end up collapsing in on ourselves and we're going to collapse in on ourselves because of arrogance. And that happens in personal life. That happens to governments all the time. What, what do you think happened to Rome? You know what I'm saying? Like that's the, it's, it's even Nazi Germany to an extent you try and take over the world. You're going to collapse in on yourself. You overextend. And it, it's, it's wild to see, man. It's wild. To see. And that's why I try to put this human behavior lens on it because I think it does give me a different understanding because that's where I've spent so much of my life is just wondering what does somebody have to think, feel, and believe to do what they're doing. And that, that goes to Donald Trump and, and Mitch McConnell and Tucker Carlson and, well, Tucker Carlson's just getting paid. That's why he's doing it. <laughs> but it's interesting, man. And it's 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 crazy. It's a crazy world. And it's, I'm so curious to see how it all turns out. Well, this is a perfect segue. This is one of uh this is from Connor Wanders. This is a clip on Instagram. And um we're gonna I'm gonna share it with you all and then we're gonna discuss it. This has to do with um something that Candace Owens, uh, who's a prominent Black Republican, would you say? Um, conservative, yeah. uh, who came out, you know, a week or so after what happened, you know, the George Floyd uh, murder. And, um, you know, from where I sat, it felt like she was giving a lot of people who, you know, have racist tendencies, they're kind of letting them off the hook. And yeah, she's the she's the she was the token black chick for for the for the racist community to share over the place. 
Yeah, I got I got a few people who sent that to me. It's like I know where you stand, brother. I get you, fucking. I hear you loud and clear. You didn't even need to send it, but that is confirmation. So yeah, um, yeah. If your friend sent you uh, Candace Owens Facebook rant, that's just. I think it's just a little insight into how they feel about the whole uh, racism thing. Anyway, that's just my experience. Anyway, here it goes. Just Owens um, put this out on Facebook, knowing it would go viral, and it did go viral. Um, I have spent a considerable amount of time reading a lot um, of Black authors that I think are some of the most brilliant Black Americans breathing. Um, Walter Williams, Shelby Steele, Thomas Sowell. And I recently came across something that was an idea that was planted into my head by Shelby Steele. And it has been something that I cannot um, forget. It is something that will stick with me for the rest of my life. And it is something that I hope for the Black Americans that are watching will stick with you for the rest of your life. Shelby Steele said that the Black community is unique from other communities. Um, our, our culture is unique from other communities um, because we are the only community that caters to the bottom denominator of our society. Now, let me explain what that means. Um, it means to say that not every Black American is a criminal, not every Black American is committing crimes, but we are unique in that we are the only people that fight and scream and demand support and justice for the people in our community that are up to no good. You would be hard pressed to find. Okay, we gotta jump in here. And this is, this is, this is one of the statements that really sets me off, okay? So she says that black black Americans are the only demographic that caters to their lowest common denominator. And then she also connects the lowest common denominator with people that are committing crime. Now, I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement is much more than that. This has so much more to do than just cops killing unarmed black men. That's not it. That's not all there is to this, okay? Now, saying that the black community caters to its lowest common denominator, I believe that is a strength of the black community. I think we can all learn something from how the black community represents their own in this way. And I don't, when I say lowest common denominator, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to connect people that are poor with criminals. I'm not going to put them all in one box. Because when you think lowest common denominator, you think low income, think disadvantaged. And yeah, you know what? She is right. The white community is way too quick to turn a blind eye to their disadvantaged people. I think that we can look at this and say, that is a strength of the black community that we can all adopt. We can look at the lowest common denominator within our society and ask ourselves, why? What can we do to change it? How can we re represent these people in a way that makes sense, in a way that can provide them an opportunity, which is what this fucking country was founded on in the first place. Now, while people who wrote those documents were slave owners, I understand the contradiction there. I still think we could look at this and say, how can we provide more opportunity and more freedom to our lowest common denominators who are by no means free and do not have opportunities just falling in their fucking laps? Maybe I'm an apologist for criminals or people who are, 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 are disadvantaged. But I don't think that representing those people with your actions, with your movements, with your protests, with your words, with your intentions, I don't think that is a weakness of the black community. I think that is a strength. And I think that if we can 
look at the interdependence that is required for this American experiment to continue in a positive way. There's so much interdependence. We like to look at the best and the brightest and hold them to some different standard and praise them for all they, they've done in the world. We all too often forget the guy who fucking fixes our car, the person who cuts our hair, the person at the convenience store, or these people that make things go in, the sanitation workers. We are interdependent upon each other and we need to fucking act like it. And it seems to me like the only community that does that is the black community. So maybe there's a lesson for all of us to learn from the way that the black community is representing themselves right now in looking at their lowest common denominator and not settling for what they've been told they could or should be. Now, she can sit on her high horse and she can be like the token black Republican that likes to spout this off. And the reason this video got sent to me so many fucking times, by the way, is because a bunch of white people were sent it to a bunch of white liberals. That's where this is. Because the white people that were like disagreeing with this and, and holding back were like, oh my God, a black person said what I was thinking this whole time. I can share it on Facebook now. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Representing the lowest common denominator within your group, whatever that group is, isn't a powerful thing to do. It shows you fucking care. It shows you're curious and you want to investigate the deeper issues. It's what's going on because you're not scared to ask why. Now, when you ask why, you might find some uncomfortable things in that. But that's okay. That's good. That's learning. That's moving. That's progress. Progress isn't a greater GDP. Progress is a greater understanding as a fucking nation. And the black community right now is representing themselves so fucking well. I personally am proud of them. Candace can shame them all she wants. That's not how I'm going to go about doing this. Look at the lowest common denominator within your community and ask yourself, why? Does it need to be this way? What got us to here? And what can we do about it going forward? That's somebody who's hungry for progress, not hungry for the status quo. Okay. So amazing. And I was fired up. I got, I got pretty heated. Yeah. Those are, those are the best ones, you know, but if I just may add, um, I also think she got it wrong. I don't, I don't think um, that people were necessarily Saying like she was comparing him later on to Kobe Bryant, like she, Kobe Bryant's the real hero. And in, in, for to me, it's like no one's saying necessarily that this guy was a hero. They're just saying he didn't deserve to fucking die. Certainly not the way he did. Like it's just right changing the narrative. It's so it's it happens all the time, and people don't want to face the harsh truth that what happened to George Floyd was not deserved. What do people ask? What did he do? What has he done? You know, it's like, no, it has nothing to do with that. He got, got fucking murdered. And so yeah. anyway, I'd love to hear just more of kind of, I, in the whole, I, I do highly recommend, and we'll link to this in the show notes, but your, it's almost an hour long YouTube where you really break it down. And I loved, mm -hmm. I really appreciated it because there's so much shit that she says that, again, it's just about changing the narrative and, and, doing the little um, sleight of hand and it's very disingenuous and yeah, I don't know. I thought you did an amazing job of really breaking that down. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. And that, that video, when that came out, I knew I was going to have to talk about it and it took me a couple of days to really like wrap my mind around it and make notes and do a little research. But I really went with more of what I was feeling at the time and what I, what I've seen. And as weird as it may seem, Coming from a, a mostly white community, and I mean 
mostly white, like, like in, in a little bit of Hispanic community in there as well, but it was predominantly 90% ish white and where I grew up. I noticed that those, those class divisions um, in that kind of situation weren't based on, on race necessarily. They were, it was more, it was much more, I would say based on privilege. Right. So especially when you have a very clear, like oil and gas cattle industry, there's certain, you know, there's certain people that are working class and it's almost like the American experiment shrunken down into a 10,000 person town. Right. So it's really clear what's going on. There's the very clear haves and haves nots. And when she said that, that is immediately what came to my mind. She's like the black, the black community is the only one that caters to the lowest common denominator. Now what she did was like I said, discredit undermine. That's exactly what she was doing. Textbook her and Charlie Kirk, who both work for turning point USA or the founders of Turning Point USA, I believe, um, they both do this. And they're really, they're experts at it. Sean Hannity does the same thing. It's, it's a, and people on the left do it as well. It's this, this sense of, of, of just, of making it, of watering it down so much that, it's, that it doesn't have the same weight and that benefits them in so many ways. Um, and with this, I thought, well, I try and represent the lowest common denominator in my community. And I don't think, there's a lot of people that are choosing between, oh, should I take my college scholarship or should I go join a life of crime? Like that's not really, and I even see crime and what crime has become and our incarceration rates and how many people are in there for nonviolent crimes, right? Like I think that's, that prison is a place for egregious offenders and violent crime. Like why is that really necessary for the the percent we have the, we have, what is it? 25% of the, of the, uh, of the incarcerated individuals on the, on the country, in the, on the planet or in this, or in this country. Like, and that's not a symptom of a, of a healthy society by any means. And is it, well, is it, is a society broken or is the incarceration system broken? So even to, to call someone a criminal is really vague, right? It's like, well, what did they do? There's a guy in, there's a guy in prison right now for 60 years. And one of the, he got the three strikes and it was all drug related, nonviolent. My dad, again, was supposed to be in for seven years. He got out early because of COVID, but he's under house arrest. Seven years for nonviolent drug crimes? Like seven years for being an addict. So again, I take that. That was one, that was me getting heated up because I take this stuff personally because I know that even though my dad, I don't have a close relationship. I know that he has a handful of grandkids that would like to spend time with him. And despite his addiction, he's actually a really good granddad (laughs) and like takes some fishing and does, you know, and it's like, I get to see that these guys, these kids, don't get to experience that for one, some of them have never met him until just recently. And is that, is that worth it? Is that worth it to me? And then she's, so she, to me, she's lumping my dad in with that whole thing. It's like, well, maybe if he would, you know, if they would have broken his neck whenever they were, whenever they were arresting him, I guess by her, by her logic, then that was not that big of a deal. So for me, I was, I had a vested interest in that. And I think that this is, I think why I really appreciated, uh, Andrew Yang and Bernie Sanders was because they factor in the lowest common denominator and you don't become the lowest common denominator by being a lazy asshole or passing up opportunities or not wanting to work. And there without a doubt is some of that, but what we have here is, is mental health issues. We have impoverished communities and we have people who, who really don't have a shot. We have an education system that's, that's, that's not really, creating opportunity. And I think that that's what I was getting at there is just the, the, in, in the lack of opportunity, you know, free, when you think about freedom, you think about opportunity. Those things go hand in hand, in my opinion. And, and I just don't, I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't feel that in the way that we're conducting ourselves. And yes, we have a great nation. You can be proud to be an American, 
but you can also criticize it, right? You can criticize it and want it to be, to be better. And I think, you know, from healthcare to education, we have a lot that we can do to really move this nation in a, in a, in a way that is so beneficial. And we've created this capitalistic society that creates amazing wealth. And that's awesome. I, that's the difference. I mean, a lot of people on the left, I think it's great. I'm, I'm glad billionaires exist. But at the same time, if you're Jeff Bezos, I feel like you should pay a shitload of taxes. You know what I'm saying? Like, a, like enough that it makes me cringe. I'm like, oh, that's a lot of money. You know what I'm saying? And I think that there's ways to go about doing this where we have more transparency and we funnel money into the communities that need it most. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell actually did a really good podcast about this, about how colleges and universities, um, they don't, uh, all, the, all the, the donations, right? The big donations go to Harvard. Princeton. And those schools have $7 billion laying around in an account, seven billion, the billions. When these schools that are, that are blue collar schools that, that people really work to, to get their kids to, and they're maybe their mom's a teacher and their dad's a fireman and they're going to this school and they're going to be an engineer. The schools don't get shit because it's not prestigious enough, but a hundred million dollars to that school. If you're going to donate a hundred million dollars to a school, instead of going to Harvard or Princeton, how about finding one of those schools where they could build a fucking whole new wing onto a dormitory. That's nice right? Or really make a change or have better food. Like there's these things that we don't ever think about because we, we elevate the best and the brightest in our society at the cost. And I believe it is at the cost of other people. I mean, even thinking about being in, thinking about being in a poor neighborhood and being a really bright kid who really has a shot with poor parents and maybe their parents are addicts or something like that. If that kid deserves just as good a shot as me, I was a lazy asshole. He probably deserves, he deserves more of a shot than I do because he overcame something and I didn't, you know? I wish I, could, I wish I could go back and give my college education to somebody who actually deserved it a lot of times because I was going to be fine without it. And it, it's just the way that we, the way that we write people off and don't and, and lack compassion for people really, it disgusts me in a lot of ways. And I think there's things that can be done about it that benefit the whole that we just overlook. And it, 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 I'm ashamed, it makes me ashamed to be an American sometimes. Nope. Yeah. Well said. So that will, so with that, that's that's our our bit on Connor Wanders. I want I want you to talk a little bit about the realness. I want to just go through each of the podcasts real briefly here, yeah. um, and just kind of share the inspiration and what you're trying to share with each. Yeah. So Connor Wanders is is me doing my thing and and talking about current events, like I said. But on the realness, I I have a great opportunity to to have conversations that I feel like are challenging a lot of times and I've gotten more, they've gotten more challenging recently because I've, I've taken on some topics that are, that are hard to discuss. Um, but we have these, I mean, and they, they're all over the place. Almost, I don't want to compare myself to Joe Rogan by any means, but similar to you in the great unlearn, it's like, I like people who, who are, are, are fun to talk to and, and have fun ideas and, and things that are even, even if they're silly and crazy, like we have a great time just discussing um, what's going on, what we're thinking about and how ways that we've improved our lives and, and what's paid dividends as far as what we've invested in personally. I mean, that's kind of the theme of, of the whole thing. I mean, one of my favorite conversations I've had recently, aside from the one with you Allah. was, uh, <laughs> was a, an AP history teacher, high school AP history teacher, black guy, really just on top of his shit, like the kind of teacher that we all wish we would have had, you know, you had a few of those teachers that were really solid. Yeah. One of those guys. And, it, and I find that, that I ha, I've been bringing on people more and more lately that I just want to, I just love talking to and picking their brain that, that are on the front lines of this stuff. And maybe they're not famous necessarily, but I think there's so much to be shared in that. So we have a great time 
a great time on that show. It's been super fun. And, and I've been revamping it just a little bit and getting things because the world, I mean, like it or not, the world has changed and I, and I have no interest in just doing things the way they were and, and, and going about it that way. So there's, I'm looking now to getting some people that I really respect that are political commentators and uh, even some politicians on. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know if they're going to be keen to coming onto a podcast where I talk about psychedelics and sex, but <laughs> that's definitely a substantial part of the conversation. Yes. <laughs> well, then you have OK Babe, which that's that's been, yeah, that's been, a, you've co-hosted with your, with your <laughs> best gal, your badass woman, Kelly Tennant. So tell us about that. Yeah, man. Okay, babe is super fun. And we came up with that. Uh, we've been dating for like six months when we decided to, to, to pull the trigger on okay, babe. And it was just, we had been on each other's shows a bunch of times because we were just having fun talking to each other. And we'd realized we could just do this all the time. So we do, we do that show. We do one interview a month and then three that are just us. We just take on topics. Like today we're talking about, uh, you know, how, how experience and trauma kind of get passed down from one person to another. And she's hyper spiritual and I'm, moderately spiritual. So <laughs> we get in it. And, we, and that's one thing that's with Kelly is she's so great at holding space and, and she came from um, broadcasting. So she is so good at having a conversation and she reins me in a little bit whenever I need to be reined in, but loves having, we both just love having conversations that are, that are challenging. And we talk, you know, about our relationship and, and how it's unconventional in certain ways and, and struggles that we go through, which I think is a lot of times on that show. And I do this on the realness as well, but I like to talk about what I'm, thinking about and what I'm going through. And I know she does like this as well while it's happening. So in real time, so there's a lot, there's also a high likelihood that we're going to be wrong about something or, 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 or develop ideas on the show, which I think is really, really fun. And it's kind of raw. Um, so I, it's, it's a really fun show. We have a great time with that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you know that Peyton and I has started to play around with that about a month or so ago when we were doing our kind of YouTube version of, you know, coffee with the Callahans. And, and I think one of the things that, that I loved in particular about it was just this idea that things were topical, like what's coming up for us this morning and let's mm -hmm. talk about it. And then it gets put out, you know, with that, we were just able to put it right on YouTube later that day, but um, there was a lot of value in that. And I think for me, what I really appreciated was Peyton has so much to share and I think there's a hesitancy for her to share it until it's really well formed and, mm -hmm. you know, put in a nice package. And she didn't have the opportunity to do that when we would sit down and um, it kind of forced her to get comfortable with that discomfort. And it was fun. It was a lot of fun. And I think we'll start that up again um, when I get up to Idaho with her later this, this month. It's fun. Kelly likes to uh, save things that she wants to talk to me about till we get on the show. So I, sometimes I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm always a little bit nervous. Like, Oh God. <laughs> well, tell me like, are you doing what's, what's the men's women's work uh, retreats, anything like do you have anything coming up that you're working yeah, so, towards? So I took a, I hit, I hit pause on, on the coaching program and I had my clients that I was still working with. And um, given that we have soul fire productions now, which has been so fun. If you have a podcast, hit us up. But um, so that's taking more time. So I am taking clients uh, now. I just started that back up and I've been reformatting. I'm taking, I think that since I came from the world of doing a lot of emotional work and even with spirituality and psychedelics, like that was what I really was passionate about years ago when I started doing this, but things have changed substantially for me. And, and I feel like I've gotten more dialed in on what I offer people 
and this happens, you know, you kind of about every year I kind of re, re revisit what I'm doing and how I'm doing it because I want to provide the best I can to people. And what I'm I'm really shifting towards now, and as the program relaunches, is more of a I would say like a critical thinking and self observation style of coaching. So what my goal with people is to get get them to a place where they feel like they haven't been really living an examined life and and haven't observed themselves and maybe they have their internal biases and there's a lot of internal conflict or that maybe they haven't addressed things mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that we can get create a space to get into that and create practices that like you talked about earlier in the show, like these no bullshit practices that actually have a return on investment, right? That that fit the person. So it's not this program where I have this, you know, list of things that you got to, these boxes you got to check. It's, it's, let's get into your life. What's going to work for you? Um, what practices? And one thing that's been great about being in personal development for shit, like 10 years now, it seems like is that there's, I know a lot of tools and, and I can, I can usually match a person with the tools that are going to have the, the biggest yield for them because people are busy, man. And they got lives to live. And I think we all just want to live the best life we can. So I try and, and do my best to, to help people live this examined life. And, and make changes that they need to make and support them through that. So it's been really fun. And I'm, I'm excited to change it up a little bit. Nope. Yeah. Good. Again, I think it just speaks to your ability to anchor into what feels right for you in, in this moment and not be married to anything that you've told yourself you're going to do and how it's supposed to look and what so-and-so is doing. And um, it's pretty easy to get caught up in that stuff. Is it with, with that in mind, like what stuff, is there anything like currently, and I'll, why don't I share, I'll share what's coming up for me lately that I'm working on, right? This whole idea of like, uh, you know, just to be on brand here, the, the great unlearn. Um, I felt like, so we're recording the beginning of July, the last couple of weeks, I've been very much a retreat into self reset, reassess mode. and. Uh, not out in this kind of initiative producing mode. Mm -hmm. And um, that's felt really good, except I recognized yesterday morning that I was still doing all those things with an intensity of like getting through them for inner work. And what came up for me was uh, I was, I got invited to go skate um, friends of mine own a hockey school. Um, and they were here in Austin. They're like, Cal, come out and skate with us. And, you know, just, just bring your skates and gloves and we've got all the other stuff. And so I went there and for an hour, man, I just played and I had fun and it was like so freeing and I was booting it up and I was talking shit with the kids and patting them on the ass with this, you know, with the, with it, you know, not in a, in a safe spot. Um, but I left there just this awareness that, oh, that's, that's actually what it means to just be. And that's actually inner work. That's a seeing, that's being present with what's happening, not having to think about how I'm going to show up or what I need to do or what's the next thing I need to learn or fix within myself. And, and so it's still, even in doing that inner work, which isn't on the surface doesn't look like uh, achievement based. There was still that underlying, all I can say is like this intensity to it. And so I've been trying to really relax into you know, just being right now. So for you, like what, 
what are you kind of wrestling with? Oh man, I like the, I, I like that for you, by the way. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Getting out of the rink again. Yeah, it was so <laughs> dope. It's been like five years. Oh man. Yeah, I you know when I'm, we moved to Denver, it's been a really it's I would say kind of chaotic in a lot of ways. I'm taking on a lot of things, right? And would that be like from the new podcast to coaching differently to soul power productions to fly fishing and bow hunting in the backcountry, right? And it was so funny, man. I went on this, we went on this camping trip, this kind of scouting camping trip uh, a couple of weekends ago, me and a buddy of mine, and just got ourselves in way over our heads, right? Like we ended up doing like 25 miles, probably 5,000-ish feet of elevation gain. And we did it in two days. We ended up packing out because we were so smoked that we couldn't really like even, we were scouting for different animals and where we wanted to hunt this upcoming September and October. And uh, we were just gassed. We ended up getting, it was brutal, man. My feet were sore for days. It was so funny. I was looking back and it's now that I'm thinking about this, like it's kind of how my life's been. It's like, go all the way. Don't accept anything different. Right. We were, we got kind of got dark on the way there on the way back. I was like, dude, if we would have stopped halfway from where we went, we would have had a way better time. It was actually way better hunting area. Like we were so dedicated on getting to that lake that was at 11,000 feet and starting at 9,000 feet going over a hill, over a little small mountain to get to this big mountain and so committed to getting there. And we didn't realize we were walking through all the good stuff. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> Dude, that's and I was it. like, I catch myself in that all the time. It's, like, it's got to be this way and I got to do this. And it's like, even with fly fishing, for example, and I've been doing a lot, been getting outdoors so much. It's been so nice. It's like, don't miss the good stuff, dude. Like you met fooling with this line, not knowing what the hell you're doing, trying to learn this new skill that people take forever to learn and expecting to go out here and catch a fish every cast. Like, what are you doing? Like being the good stuff. And that's, even how I feel about with, with the Connor Wanders podcast and the way things are changing, like so much has changed. So much has changed. Um, that I'm, I'm trying to be more into the good shit. That's not at the end. It's not at the, you know, the, at the, at the Alpine Lake that you got to get to that's six miles away, even though you're wrecked. Like, Oh, I just walked. I, I was so committed to looking there that I've, I, I, I just, and I'm so, I, I thought I was good at that. I thought I was good about that. And I just, it was put me in a different environment and it was the old patterns came right back up. Like get there. Everything will be good. And you get yes. there and didn't deliver. <laughs> yeah. Once I get there, then this. So it's, it's, and it shows up everywhere. If we're paying attention, it shows up everywhere. Um, yeah. And that's, that's why we're never through the work. It's why it's, it's, oh, and you have to be kind to yourself. And just like you did, just kind of laugh, like, look at me, yeah. silly old me. Just missed once all my, the good Once shit. I could walk again, I was, I was like, wow, that was silly. <laughs> but my feet were trashed. It was ruined. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen. All right, that's it for the show. Um, where can people find you? Remind them. Yeah, you can find me. Uh, Instagram's great at Connor Wanders, and then Connor Moore on YouTube. Uh, all that stuff's linked to my Instagram. So Instagram's a good place. It's a good hub for all the all the things, and then all the podcasts are linked there as well. So if you dig it, come check me out. Awesome, and y'all know where to find me at Cal Callahan on Instagram and oh, new IG handle. What's what up? up? And Cal Callahan on Facebook. And then, uh, Jesus, I think it's the great unlearn. Yeah. The great unlearn on YouTube. Yeah. yeah, Connor, you know, uh, all right. Well, awesome. Thanks brother. I love this. I'm glad we did it. I mean, and then we'll, we'll do it again in person next time we're together. I can't wait. All right. Much love brother. You've been listening to the great unlearn for more information. Please check out the show notes or Head on over to thegreatunlearned.com for additional episodes and information regarding events and retreats. 
If you liked what you heard today, click subscribe and share this with friends that might enjoy our platform. Please leave a five-star rating in iTunes as this really helps us spread our message. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook as John Callahan. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon.